Welcome to the Unlocking Unlimited Potential Stories podcast. My name is Dr. Brandon Beck, and I am so excited for you to be here to join us today. This podcast was originally a live show that was aired across several different social media platforms. The goal of this show is to amplify the stories of amazing people, which serve as inspiration for your journey. Your story matters. It tells us who you are and who you want to be. Enjoy this opportunity to hear from these innovative thought leaders as they discuss what it means to unlock unlimited potential. If you are looking for an opportunity to connect further with me after this show, please visit brandonbeckedu.com to learn more about my speaking, coaching, consulting, and other offerings that are designed to help you and your organization find greater results in your journey. Welcome to the Unlocking Unlimited Potential Stories show. So great to be here with my special guest, Lainey Rowell. How are you doing today? I am so good. And that intro, wow. I mean, it's very professional and also really inspiring. I just love it. Every single time I watch that, I get pumped up for the show. So it's kind of turned into a, a natural habit that I have to have it on so that I get jacked up. So I'm jacked up to be here, jacked up to be here with you and excited to talk about all the awesome stuff that's been going on. Had a chance to chat a little bit in the pre-show. And we've been following each other for a while and trying to get connected and great to connect with you. So I'm excited to dive in today. Title of the show, Evolving Learner, named after your most recent publication with Corwin. And you are an educator, a speaker, an international consultant, and also currently in George Chorus's most recent release because of a teacher along with some other awesome people shout out to Steph, shout out to live it and all those other awesome people that were in that book as well the co-host of the lemonade learning podcast and always one of the best highlights you're also a ted xer so <laughs> how'd i do i do good that was very generous of you and and uh, i just want to start off by saying i'm i'm super honored to meet you you know i guess we call this face to face or not but you know as like as close as we're getting live um and just really grateful to be here so thanks for having me yeah no we were also talking a bit about it on the the pre-show talking about how the connections that we've made with each other and been able to make across the globe in the past two years since the beginning of this shift with this pandemic have really been wild and really led to some really interesting discoveries and some amazing connections so just grateful for them. And I know we'll probably dig into that because we're going to talk about your your next book, Evolving with Gratitude. So big fan of gratitude. Important to have that in all of our lives. So let's just dive in. You know, Please. I know there's a lot of our people out there that know you and also many of our listeners that may not. So describe your journey into education. How did you end up on this path that you're on right now? <laughs> well, I'll tell you the really short answer would be that I'm not very good at saying no to things. And so um, kind of where I ended up in this particular moment in time in my education journey has a lot to do with saying yes to things that really scare me to death. But um, but I'll go back a little further and elaborate a little bit more. 
you know, I wasn't, um, I wasn't a star student. I wasn't a good student. I loved learning, but I just wasn't really a great student. I was an athlete. I was a softball player in high school, competitive cheerleading. That was like, that was the reason for school for me. And of course, some social aspects. Uh, I went into college. I went to San Diego State, psych major. And one of my requirements as a psych major was to do hours, uh, community hours. And so I ended up working at a non-public school, working with a student with special needs, fell in love with working with kids and decided to become a teacher. I was actually going to be a special ed teacher. And that was that was the goal. I was going to do that. Uh, and then just along the way, I just I fell in love with technology and how that could really make learning accessible to all kids, um, not just kids who had been identified with special needs, because I think we all have our unique needs. And I was in the classroom and I happened to be hired to teach in, I think it was my third or fourth year, I was hired to teach in a new school that had a lot of technology and we didn't really know how to do it. And I was kind of the explorer and I love to play with it. And I ended up moving from that, you know, classroom experience to being in a district position. And that leadership position at a district was really amazing. And I got to see everything going on in all these different schools. And we had a lot of diversity in our district from really high wealth um, to those who are terribly underserved. It was kind of a remarkable situation to be in one district that had such a tremendous spectrum. And uh, I, I kind of had this opportunity where in 2010, Apple came to me and offered me a consulting position and I took it and I went to my district and I said, would you be so kind as to give me a year to see if I could do something with this? And they were, they were very, very kind. They let me do it and I have not been back. And I will say, and I told you this before the pre-show, I'll have to joke that I actually ended up going into classrooms more when I became a consultant, then I, when I worked in the district office, and I think there was just a bit of a barrier that it's like when you're a district office person, they, it's a little intimidating for, for you to walk into a classroom. They kind of worry, like, are you judging? And of course, I'm, I'm never trying to give that vibe, but sometimes that just is a little hard to overcome that. So it's been really great getting into classrooms and working with teachers so much and principals as well. Yeah, that's a real valid point that you bring up that whole idea of perception of you going into somebody else's room. Now you're the cool person from Apple. You're like the ed tech guru. Now all of a sudden you're going into the classroom. Now you're the person who's going to show them all these amazing things. Everybody's going to have a ton of fun. You get it to was. go in and do the thing, all the great things. Of course, you know, you're, you're the one they want in the classroom and that's, it's a pretty amazing thing. And I think there's a reason it's been going on for the past 11, 12 years is you know, you found something that you're passionate about and that you enjoy and you connected it to your service of students. And I think that that's a really valid and amazing thing that I think is important and to I find on the journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's been really fascinating to me in my, my professional, in my career, my journey is that like the things I'm passionate about are also evolving. So I'm still very passionate about educational technology, but through my work with that, and a huge shout out to Alan November, who's been a mentor to me for probably about 15, 16 years. He gave me the opportunity to keynote at his conference in 2014. And Corwin had, had one of their editors there, and I was actually approached about writing a book on professional learning. And I was 
quite confused. I was like, I don't understand. Wait, what? What do you want me to write about? Because I had been speaking and doing professional learning and coaching all around educational technology for for a number of years. And the the approach was about a book on, on building capacity and professional learning. And I was uh, really just taken aback by that. And so again, it's like the the journey has had a lot to do with me just saying yes when I really was terrified and wanted to say no. <laughs> and challenges are certainly opportunities for growth. And that is a prime example right there. You know, you go into these situations and you find yourself taking on something that you actually enjoy and then COVID happens. So what was COVID like for you being in this ed consulting position with Apple? So, well, and I haven't worked for Apple for a while. I did end up uh, kind of moving on from that. And now I'm like, my biggest client now is Orange County Department of Education. And I do a lot of other going into individual schools and districts and things like that. Um, I also have a, a, a pretty extensive background in online and blended learning. I was on the committee that wrote the National Standards for All Online Quality Teach or National Standards for Quality Online Teaching. That's a mouthful. Um, and I've been involved with online and blended learning for for a very long time. We had it in my district. We were one of the few districts that actually had online learning because the way our funding worked, we didn't need to have that compliance with actual butts and seats. Uh, so been really involved in online learning. So. I, and I'm sure you've heard other people say this, you know, those of us who have a strong history with online learning, when that happened, to hear people kind of tearing down online learning, like this is not as good, this is terrible, how can we subject our kids to this? And it's like, no, 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 this is, you know, this is a very different thing. And so it was a real opportunity to to take what I knew from my work with amazing online teachers and amazing online administrators to take that work and say, okay, well, this is not that because these kids and these parents and these teachers did not choose this, but we know these things work well. And how can we take what we know is best practice and apply it to this emergency situation and try and get the very best out of this? So it was, there was some like challenging identity things for those of us who've been in this community for a long time to hear that negativity because we, we know people didn't ask for it. But at the same time, we also know the value in it. So it was a lot of trying to have grace and patience and, well, here's what we know has worked for us. And we really think you could try this and adapt it. And, and we think it could help you get through this really, really challenging time. Once again, finding troublesome areas to go into that require lots of challenges and saying yes and, and digging in and finding solutions. I think that's also a big part of it, you know, in our stories related to how we go about and how we landed on this journey. And I think that, you know, hearing your part of the story of, you know, it just, as I'm hearing you say these things out loud over and over, it's just, you just keep finding like another hurdle to overcome. And I think that that's helpful. I think that that's what keeps us alive. I think that's you know, being able to go through those times and also, you know, keeping at the point of the real main goal is that you're serving. It's the yeah. service, you know, it's finding those solutions. And, and we really have needed to do that in the past. And if there's anything we've learned in the past two years is that nothing's ever going to go as planned. Oh, no. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I think I can share this on behalf of my co-authors, Revolving Learner. I mean, that book was many years in the, in the works. I, I started that 
at least thinking about it in 2015. And then I invited uh, Dr. Christy Andre and Dr. Lauren Steinman to join me on that journey. Um, we spent years on that book and the launch date was March 13th of 2020. I'm not even wow. kidding. That was the exact date. And so these obstacles that come towards us, we have to go, okay, well, how can I pivot? How can I adapt? How can I evolve? And so even though like our kind of, you know, internally we're sad and again, speaking for Christy and Lauren and hopefully they won't mind, but um, it was really heartbreaking, but it was like, no, well, there's an opportunity here. We, we know that the things that we're sharing are still really important. And so how can we help teachers? How can we promote that? you know, collective efficacy, that self-efficacy? How can we have this unifying vision? Um, and it was really kind of this convergence, at least for me personally, of like taking what I knew to be truth and best practices from online learning and saying, okay, well now how do we, through cycles of inquiry, through continuous improvement, how do we apply this idea of being an evolving learner? Like it's, you know, evolving has kind of a sense of a slower pace and more of a intentional, like over time kind of thing. And we have to evolve a lot faster during this pandemic. But um, there's still stuff that we know to be about professional learning that can get us through and hopefully help us in these really, really challenging times. And, you know, I keep I feel like I've been saying challenging times for we're approaching two years and we keep, you know, sometimes we get a little reprieve and now we're kind of at a peak again. And and I just really hope um, that the educators who are taking the time to listen to this, and I know they're really busy, I hope that they know that they can do this and it's okay to take some things off their plate and really start to focus on the things that are going to be the most impactful for, for their learners, for themselves, for their peers. I think it's a time to kind of just strip away the things that we don't actually need right now and focus what can we do that will have the biggest impact. I 1000% agree with you on that one. That is absolutely true. We are in challenging times and they're going to be continuing to get more challenging as we go in many different ways. And, but yes, I mean, when I speak to students, I'm constantly saying to them and finding myself saying, I haven't lived what you're going through right now. And you're going through something that we're all going to look back on in five, 10 years and be like, wow. How that we was do that? <laughs> intense. That was different. And yeah. I think that, you know, I think we're moving through and it, we're getting there and doing our best and shout out to all the amazing educators out there that continue to crush it and show up for your students in multiple ways, doing the extra things, the extra hours, putting things in hybrid, putting things in virtual, putting things in person. It is a juggling act. And, you know, I know you talk a lot about this book, you know, was coming out. March 13th, 2020, which is pretty amazing. So talk a little bit more about the book and, and a little bit about, I know the story, I hear the story behind it, but talk a little bit more about how is the, how are the learners that we have evolving and what kind of tips do you give for educators to help them continuing to guarantee that there is evolving and learners in front of them to the yep. best of our ability? So the the book the the big idea behind the book is that we can shift from professional development to professional learning where we're learning from our kids, peers and the world. So what we have every day, every time we get to interact with our kids is an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to learn from and with them. And so the first part of the book, we're really talking about how 
There's so many opportunities to, you can think of it like through formative assessment where I can see what's happening. And that's not only going to help me to coach and to facilitate the learner, but it's also going to be informing my practice. So I know what's working and what's not working. So I can, I can evolve and I can pivot based on that. We also can shift. And this is, you know, we had, you know, emergency situation, so not ideal, but there is an opportunity to, as you know, wherever we are in this situation, to really think about how can we shift to more learner-driven practices. And so whether you want to call it inquiry-based or PBL or challenge-based learning or what, you know, there's a lot of different um, methods that we could attach to that learner-driven concept. But that idea where when we are really allowing kids more opportunity for inquiry and we're able to strategically insert ourselves, we're, we're there guiding them, but that's our opportunity to learn again with our kids. And so that's really what we want to do. We want to give those opportunities. And then through learning with peers, that's where we're kind of talking about coaching and PLCs. I know you had Jimmy Casas on here. He's an amazing coach. I, I love that he's out there coaching leaders right now. Um, and, and I love that you both shared like that it was a long time before you ever had a coach. Right. And so we need to be coaching. If we don't have an actual district or site person, who's a coach, we need to be coaching each other. And so that can happen in a variety of ways. We talk about that in the book. We talk about learning from the world and you and I have already shared this, you know, I think before the show and during the show is that there's so many ways for us to learn by connecting with people on social media. Um, we just have, I mean, I just don't even know what I would have done in this situation pre-social media. This has been a lifesaver for me to be able to connect with people anywhere in the world. And I've been an international consultant for a long time, but I, I, I didn't really love leaving my family for long periods of time and getting on a plane and going to a different continent. I, I mean, it was a fun experience, but I have young children. And so the ability to actually connect with people in India, to connect with people in China, in you know Brazil, like I get to connect with people all over the world. And that to me is just mind blowing as a way for me to learn. It's also an opportunity for our kids to learn. You know, one of the things I did when I was in the classroom and one of the things I still help educators do is get kids connected to other kids and other people around the world so that they can continue to learn. So there's just, I mean, I just, you can tell I get pretty excited about it because there's just so many more opportunities to learn than when we, when I was a kid, which is a very long time ago, but... <laughs> I, for me, it was either someone really smart was around me or there was an encyclopedia within reach. Otherwise, there was no answer. I would, if I had a question, I wasn't going to find the answer unless I had someone smart or an encyclopedia close. So. That's, that's great. The encyclopedia days. Imagine that our students had to look in an encyclopedia right now. I don't know if they'd know where to go. I don't I, know. Maybe, maybe they would. I don't know. But it's a lot easier to Google it. Just saying. It is. <laughs> But, you know, and, and what I love what you're saying about that as well, and I'll just kind of add to it as well, you know, teachers are learning from these worldly experiences too. being able to mm -hmm. see what a teacher is doing in Canada. And, you know, especially during, you know, times where there was the pandemic, there were certain people in certain parts of the world going back to school before others. And I just remember kind of 
sitting on the edge of my seat and waiting to hear what that was like. Oh my God, they went back to school. Oh my, what was that like? And now, you know, schools all over the place, they're experiencing a lot of the same problems, but they're also experiencing a lot of different problems that are unique to their circumstances and their environments. And I get that, but that's also what makes these districts so unique. And back to what you said before, and the the idea of overcoming challenges and being able to grow from those challenges by finding solutions, I think it's only going to make us stronger in the future because when we're looking forward to the future, this shift that's coming in education, it really is evolving learners. It really is something that we're going to be ready to flip on a dime. We could be flipping back and forth between hybrid, Mm in-person, virtual, you know, full on for a while. We don't know. We could be in so many different things that we don't know. So when the unknown is in front of you, that uncertainty Yep. evolving learner. I, I love this. I, I love w- the concept and I love the ideas. I can't wait to get my copy because I'm getting it. I'm getting it real soon. Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, I think that's like you said that so well, like it's not only evolving in what we learn, but how we learn. That is what I think has become really apparent. And I guess I'm just old enough to kind of go, oh, yeah, I remember the encyclopedia days. But I think we can even just say from pre-COVID, like how we were learning versus how we're learning now. And I and I love your point about, you know, one of the things that was really um, fascinating in the spring of 2020 or yeah, spring of 2020 was it didn't matter who I was talking to in the world. We were all experiencing a very similar thing. We were all in shutdown. We were all trying to figure out how to make the best learning experience for our kids. We were all, it was such a unique, um, and while it was tragic and sad, it was still this very unifying moment in time that I don't know if we'll ever get in the same way, but it was, so there was something tragic, but also beautiful in that. And I think that that was a really interesting thing for me to go like, okay, this is a community. And I will tell you that I was on Twitter starting in 2007. I think that's the year it launched. Um, and I was not the best user of Twitter. Um, I was a lot slower to get to, I know Instagram came later, but slower to that. But I have definitely in the last, um, you know, since March of 2020, that has been a lifeline for me. And I think it's helped a lot of others. And And I know that there's not always positivity on there, but I have been become really good at uh, filtering out and doing more of like Austin Cleon will say more search, less feed. So I'm kind of seeking out the answers to my problem of practice on social media. I'm not just waiting for it to be fed to me because um, that typically doesn't happen very efficiently. <laughs> it doesn't usually happen very timely, that's for sure. So, and then no, I, I get it. I love it. Go ahead. I just want to share one more thing about the book. Um, no, absolutely. I was going to ask you another question anyways. Oh, okay, so keep, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. Well, So I just want to say, and uh, so again, I was a psychology major and, and I always loved character education. That was a huge part for me in my classroom. Um, and then the book and my amazing co-authors really helped with this. There is a theme throughout the entire book is social emotional learning, not just for kids, but also for adults. Um, and so I really think uh, that it's almost like everyone's saying that now. So it kind of becomes a little bit of white noise, but I just cannot stress enough how important that is. And I'm just really grateful that that was something we had in the book pre-pandemic, because obviously it's it's become a, a huge spotlight right now. 
certain things change and certain things just evolve, right? And that evolve is not completely changing what we did in the past completely and not doing it using any of that foundation because those foundational skills are there. It's building on those foundational skills that we have in place. I truly appreciate that. You know, you're talking about in your book, it's about professional learning, shifting from professional development to professional learning, right? One thing with professional learning, and you're talking about it too, uh, with social media and how there's some amazing people out there on social media. And those people that are out there connecting on social media, those are not the ones I worry about, okay? <laughs> they're the ones out there that are doing, you know, they're going above and beyond. They're out there spending their extra time, their free time, you know, their time away from whatever else to just kind of continue to learn, to continue to grow, to continue to connect and network in whatever way. The other thing is, okay, there's those, those other people that are, you know, not necessarily looking for professional learning. They're not, you know, they might show up to a meeting and not necessarily be their bag and not what they want. We all run into them. They're in every district. Those are the ones who normally we want to try to encourage to do more professional learning because you and I sit here and say how much we enjoy it and why shouldn't they enjoy it? So the question is, what do you suggest? You know, what were some things that you suggest about shifting that mindset for these educators? Well, let me just admit that I just like I loved being a learner as a kid, but I was a terrible student. I would also say as an adult, I was not a good student in PD. Like I was probably one of the most bitter. I mean, I, I don't even want to know what my resting face looked like during a PD that I had been forced to go to. I'm going to I'm just going to say I hope I had enough. I hope I had it in me to just put on some sort of face to not upset whoever, you know, was presenting. Anyways, um, so I think one of the things that we really struggle with, and when we're talking about shifting from PD to professional learning, we're talking about moving away from the one size fits all, giving more voice and choice. We're talking about encouraging creativity. So in what we've found from the research, and we wrote the book not because we had all the answers, because we wanted to find the answers. What we found is that we have to have this unifying vision for learning. We need to have this collective cycle of inquiry, but there also has to be an individual cycle of inquiry. And I think that often what happens, what my experience as a teacher, what I see when I go into schools and districts is there's a lot of, you will do this because we've said this is important, but there's not enough voice and choice. There's not enough, there's too much focus on seat time and not enough opportunity for, okay, well, you could do, you could actually understand about this by reading this article, listening to this podcast, watching this video, experiencing this Twitter chat. There's so many more opportunities to learn. And we're still giving teachers almost no options. Usually it, it, we, we have a, a percentage in the book. I think it's 18% of teachers that may have shifted. It may actually be lower because of COVID. I don't even know. But the, the point is, if you were to poll teachers, most of them are going to say they don't have a ton of choice. So giving choice doesn't mean like, okay, now here's what we're going to make you do every Thursday at 3 p.m. And your choice is to do more on top of that. That's not what we're saying. We're saying you have to get creative about, okay, well, we're going to kick off this cycle of inquiry. This is going to be our, our workshop that we all go to to get the vision. And then, okay, here's what you can do uh, in your PLCs. This is what you could do individually, but it's not adding more. And I'll say just one example, and you may have seen this too. When we talk about the importance of social emotional learning, not only for kids, but for adults. And I, I love you districts and I know your heart's in the right place, but 
helping people who are struggling with mental health does not mean adding 40 hours of social emotional workshops. And that is something that when I heard that, I, and I mean, I'm giving a very specific example, but we've seen this a lot. Like you need help with your well-being. We're going to send you to a virtual workshop. We're going to have you do this. And it's not even optional. And it's like, oh my Lord, how are we doing this to our poor educators who are doing so much already? So I think, I forget what your question was, but hopefully I answered it in some roundabout way. <laughs> you answered it completely. You're shifting the mindset and shifting the language and shifting the design of the experiences and connecting the design of the experiences to the individual, which is most important because I want to learn what I need to learn. That's adult learning 101. I don't necessarily want to learn the same things as everybody else in this classroom. And, and that level of differentiation, that evolves as we grow, right? That, that's why we as educators should continue to differentiate for our learners, because eventually they're just going to continue to be understanding that, hey, it's okay for me to have different learning styles, different ways that I'm going to achieve this goal, but we're going to achieve this goal and, and then some. And, and if I could just add really quickly, I, yeah. I think what's really interesting is that we have to think about how, and I'll borrow a phrase from my dear friend, Katie Novak, uh, we have to think about how individuals are unique and dynamic. So yes, we're unique, but that doesn't mean that I, Lainey, always want to be reading. It Sometimes I'm gonna wanna watch a video. Sometimes I'm gonna wanna listen to something. There's so many different ways that I can learn. Maybe I wanna take a deeper dive into a book, but we have to acknowledge that people are not only unique, but they're dynamic. And so shout out to my friend, Katie, who I love. Yes. Shout out to amazing educators that continue to rock the world with these amazing experiences. And I think, you know, being able to be a consultant that can go into districts and model that is so critical, but also can come back with the consistency and, and the follow-up is really important. So I know that's something that you probably believe. Would you add anything else to that in your experience? I mean, the so we know that job embedded is an ongoing are the most important things as far as like, is this going to actually make it into our practice? And we talked earlier about coaching and how essential that is. So that is part of coaching. That's the PLCs. Again, it's this, it's this unifying vision. Like we know what we're trying to do for kids, but how Lainey does that is going to be different than how Brandon does that. And that's okay. And it's like my, I nerd out on this $5 word. It's called equifinality. It basically just means like we can have the same results, but have different ways of getting there. And so Brandon, you're an amazing teacher. You could do it one way. I could do it a totally different way and still get good results. And so I think when we appreciate that and value the professional, and I'll just say, I believe all teachers want to be the best teacher that they can be. And if there are some who they actually don't want to, then they need to find a new profession. I say that with so much love and I just want you to be happy. Go do something else. We need people who want to be the best. And I think that that is the vast majority of educators. I have yet to come across an educator who's like, ah, I'm good with being okay. Like I find that teachers want to be the best they can be. So we have to honor that and give them those opportunities and trust them as professionals, because that's my experience is that they will make those choices. 
Absolutely. I agree with that 1000% again. So one thing that we do on this episode as we come to the close, because we could keep going forever, but one thing that we do is we dedicate the episode to someone who's out there unlocking unlimited potential and all whom they serve. And I know that this one is a close connection of yours and I've been following Brianna for a while. So we're going to give a shout out to Brianna Hodges. I know she's your, your, your sidekick. Let's call her that on your lemonade learning podcast. I'm not sure if you have a different word for each other, but tell us a, a little uh, bit about Brianna. I think you call Brie, Minister, Minister has been thrown out before. Uh, Brie is just brilliant, amazing. She's the storyteller. We came together to do lemonade learning, which of course she named because she is just so creative. Um, but that was, it was literally born out of, we connected right in the spring of 2020. I had spent years manicuring and, you know, making, you know, making sure that the book was everything it could be. And then kind of feeling like, oh my gosh, I spent all of that time on that book. I hope people will read it. But right now I just have to say things. And and, and Brie is just so smart. I really wanted to have these conversations with her. We did about nine or 10 episodes, just the two of us kind of reflecting on what was happening. And then we brought in KV Novak. Now I've mentioned her twice. I, I love her. So that's, that's worth it. Um, but she was our, our episode, I think she was episode 10 and she was, she's nailed it. So from then on, we started having guests. So we, we hope to get to reach all of our, our friends and get them on. We're taking a little hiatus, but we'll be back soon. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to change and shift and do what you need to do to keep doing what you need to do during these times. And that is awesome. Well, one more thing I got to ask you to do before you go is I need you to just finish this sentence. Unlocking unlimited potential means. Unlocking unlimited potential for ourselves and for helping others is about aspiring for great things, knowing we're capable of great things, and then staying consistent in the daily rituals and habits that's going to get us there. I'm, yes. I'm a big James Clear fan. Yes. Um, I love how he talks about the importance of consistency over intensity. I think that we often think it's about intensity, but it's really about sticking with it and doing the things all the time. And that's what's going to get us there. I totally agree. You know, you talk about a lot of great things that you're doing in your work and you have some amazing things coming. I know you have another book coming. We talk a little bit about Give us a little bit of the uh, the elevator pitch on the next book. Yes. So the next book came out of actually my reflecting on how did I, because I do feel very blessed. Um, it wasn't that I didn't experience challenges during the pandemic that we're obviously still in, but um, it was really reflecting on how was I able to not only survive, but thrive on this. And gratitude was what I kept coming back to. I would go back and listen to podcast interviews and I would hear myself talking about gratitude. And so I decided to do this really deep dive on it, found all the research, all this, you know, gratitude improves relationships, uh, well-being, and also has an impact on academic success. And so I, I was just kind of blown away, like, oh my gosh, gratitude makes, it's not just about school culture, which is very, very important, but it actually has a direct impact on learning. And so I knew I needed to unpack this a little bit more, decided to, to really dive into it. So evolving with gratitude, I'm very, very excited for it. It's going to follow kind of what I've always used as my 
kind of organization of learning with kids, learning with peers, learning with the world. So it's going to be evolving with kids, evolving, I'm sorry, gratitude with kids, gratitude with peers and gratitude with the world. I'm super excited for it mid, mid this year, mid 2022. That's awesome. Amazing. I can't wait. I cannot wait to hear more about it. I can't wait to read it. Gratitude is such a, is such a thing that we think that kids don't really need to practice. Right. And so there is a practice and I think we all become aware of it when we're adults, like, wow, gratitude is really a thing. I really have been grateful. I'm now older. Yep. So I'm looking back at my life and how fast it's all come. And you're saying gratitude. Wow. Well, you know, I need to have a little bit more gratitude. Yeah. And, and I, I dove into the, what we know about it from a child development perspective. We know that, you know, when we start building character early on, by the time they're about seven or eight, they can consistently practice gratitude. And so, you know, we lay that foundation, but then also how do we show gratitude for each other? And I just, I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to George Kuros and Paige Kuros because they have really helped me and, and Shelly and Dave, they've, you know, they're all a part of this with I Am Press putting this book out. And I'm just so honored. Um, this is really, uh, just something that I had to get out. Like I, I was so honored when I was asked to write Evolving Learner. I didn't really, I had a, a lot of uh, imposter syndrome writing that book. And this one, I kind of just let go of the imposter syndrome because I'm like, I just want to say these things because this is what I've learned. And this is what I think maybe could help others who are um, either thriving or also those who could be challenged right now. And how can this help them get out of that? That's awesome. Well, you have amazing things going on. I had your website on here. You've had your Twitter tag on the screen the entire time. LaneyRowell.com. Big things coming from LaneyRowell.com in 2022. So we're super excited for you. It has been awesome to talk to you. We could keep going and this could be the longest episode I've ever had. But that's usually a good thing. So I just wanted to say thanks so much for joining. And I appreciate you. And I say best of luck in the future. It sounds like it's going to be really great for you. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you to everyone listening. Brandon, I hope we get to connect more uh, and collaborate on something in the near future. That is guaranteed. Absolutely. So just to remember everybody out there, I just want to let you know that the journey toward unlocking unlimited potential begins with you. Continue to educate with passion, everybody. Have an amazing day. This podcast is proud to be a part of the Codebreaker Podcast Network and also the entire family of disruptors at Codebreaker.